Pastor Chris Plum, would you come in? Come up and uh, welcome him. Give him a big hand. Chris wrote a book. It's the book of his story. It is a really good read. He writes very well. He's a good storyteller. Um, if you want to get a copy, he's got a copy available. Trisha's got the copies, and they cost 15 bucks. There you go. Bargain. Okay. God bless you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Paul. And thanks, Trish, for having us. Um, I am massively blessed by this church. We are, Jay and I, and, and, uh, and Emily and Jordan, our partners in Bunbury. You know, uh, as I was sitting there, I leant over to Jay and I said, I wish, I wish you could see the other side of what Paul's talking about. And I hope that over time you can, like through what I share this morning and through what the Holy Spirit shows you and over the journey that we do together in the future, that you can see some of what the sows, the seeds that you are sowing into Bunbury, the harvest are going to produce. We've had a lot of prophetic words through some of the meetings that have come in the past um, and specifically some that have come to me prior to our connection with Paul and One Church about entering into a time of harvest and seeing shoots come up that are not yet ripe for a harvest but are coming. And so I believe they are the seeds that this church has sown. I am confident that God, more than ever, is longing to redeem and restore his church in Bunbury. I am more than confident. There are others that are confident. They are sure that God is waiting for us to make a move. And so I want to commend you and I want to thank you, church, because you guys are sowing the seeds. And God can use anyone, but he's used you, right? There's plenty of big, big churches out there that God can use, but he's used you guys. Right? So believe that the seeds you are sowing, God is going to water. God is going to bring people around and there is going to be a harvest in Bunbury. Just to give you a bit of a picture of, of the setting in Bunbury, the, the, um, there's a passage in Matthew where Jesus says, um, since the days of John, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And sadly, the church in Bunbury has been uh, attacked violently for many, many years. And the position right now that we enter into is not great. As Paul alluded to, we've been, we've been statistically almost number one ice capital in Australia for using drugs, using ice. And the ramifications of that socially in the family setting is devastating what we're experiencing. In the church, We're not aware of the battle that we're entering into. And we need to be trained and equipped to fight in the spiritual realms. So I've received the mandate. We've received a mandate, the same mandate that he gives to us as a church, the Great Commission. And I love the way that uh, Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul in person and gave him the same Great Commission, the same mandate. Acts 26, I think. Get to your feet. Go and preach the gospel. Preacher to Jew and to Gentile, that we would fight for what he fights for. Right? This is what God is calling us as a church to do. And so would you continue to pray for us as a church? One of the reasons why we called the church Storehouse was because it's just a storehouse. We're not interested in building another brand or another entity or another church to do professional church and have poach all the people that are dissatisfied with their current churches. That's not what we're there to do. Okay? We're there to establish, and you know what, a lot of what God put on my heart, I didn't have answers to. I was confused. I felt like the model for the church was kind of 180 degrees around the wrong way. Now, if you've read Paul's book, 
he talks about the apostolic foundation and the structure that we've brought into the church from the world is a corporate one and it's a triangle, right? A pyramid with one goal at the top. And the picture that Paul puts in his book is the apostolic foundation turns that on its head. So for me, I received a lot of answers in Paul's teaching about what it's going to take to establish the apostolic foundation in Bunbury, in the church. That means a lot of teaching, a lot of prayer, a lot of prophetic and a lot of unity. You know, unity is the missing superpower for the body, right? Not, not the house. I'm talking about the superpower for the church in whatever region you're positioned. So for a, for a second, would you just embrace that right now? Because it's as, it's as applicable for you guys here in this region up here. I don't know what churches are around here, but it's, it's on your heart already. I know that's why it's called One Church, right? I'm preaching to the choir, but... Unity is the superpower for the church. And so we've got to work out how in Bunbury to embrace that, to connect with other churches, to pray with other churches, to get on what matters and forget about what doesn't matter, move on, have forgiveness for the stuff that doesn't matter, and embrace that superpower for the kingdom to be established in Bunbury. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that church, you would see more um, of what is going on down there, the harvest that is to come. Uh, I believe with all my heart, like I said, I am so confident that God, I mean, a lot of the time we say we're waiting on God and that's important to wait on God and hear what he's saying to us to do, instructing us. But I believe more than anything, he is waiting for us to approach him and to enter into what he has destined for us. So I've got a message that I hope will um, kind of inspire you to do that this morning. I couldn't carry everything up. Can I just... Thanks, Jay. Um, just before I do that, I just want to take care of a little bit of business before I do that. Excuse me. There's a young couple just standing here in worship, and I can see you guys just there. Would you jump up on your feet for a second? Um, when you guys came over and stood here straight away, I was hit with a pain in my chest, like a, like a, a yearning, a hurting, and... Uh, I'm going to share in a minute, but my book is a testimony of a seven-year period. My wife and I went through infertility, and we still haven't conceived children of our own, so I'll get to that in a minute while we have four kids. But I sense something of that in you, and I know you've got a child, but there is a yearning or a hurting in you for something. I don't know what that is, but God knows, and he has a great purpose for your life. Your marriage and your family is to be blessed because of what God has seeded in your life. Perhaps it's just a seed, like it's small at the moment, but I don't know what that pain is. Quite often God does that. He actually allows me to feel something of a hurt or a pain that's within someone else so that you can intercede and pray on their behalf. And I just know that there's something. I don't know what it is, but I felt it as you came up. And maybe it's just a seed. Is it just something small right now? I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you, God has got his hand on your life. You know, the sevenfold spirit of God is uh, knowledge and revelation. Knowledge is not like information, right? That's, revelation is the truth that's established through the word of God and information that we download that comes through revelation and becomes our truth. But knowledge is knowing him, right? That's a knowledge of who God is, of knowing him. And I believe that's where God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you in your knowledge of who he is as a father over your marriage and over you both intimately. Amen. Thank you, guys. Bless you. Uh, and it's a good segue for my message. But uh, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would speak through me. 
I ask that not my words and not my spirit be uh, spoken this morning, but your spirit and your words would go forward and penetrate hearts. Uh, There's been an invitation this morning, Father. You spoke through different ones in our prayer time and in the meeting so far that you are inviting us this morning into a greater level of intimacy with you, to see you as a father. So Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would teach, that you would bring revelation, and that you would invite us into a greater level of intimacy and knowledge of who you are this morning. And I pray that by your spirit and by your name. Amen. As I said before, uh, the words by Jesus in Matthew is that the kingdom of heaven is suffering great violence. And I believe the times are coming where God is raising up a church that are going to fight back with equal or greater levels of violence. And I know we don't often associate the word violence in our culture because we're told to love. And I'm not talking about violence against other people. I'm talking about violence against the kingdom of darkness. I believe God is raising up prayer warriors and prophets and teachers that get what it is to fight in spiritual realms. This is something that I believe wholeheartedly is on Paul's life. One of the uh, crazy things about... uh, So when when we came to one of the services, just to give you a bit of background, we had already planned to plant a church in Bunbury. God didn't tell us to plant a church, but he said, go and lead my people in the city. And so we had figured that the best way to do that was to start a new church. Uh, church, to open a new church in the city. I didn't particularly like the word plant because I didn't feel it was on my heart to actually plant a church, but we started the journey. And uh, within seven days of making a decision, honoring our pastors at our previous church and sharing with them what was on our heart, we met Paul. We were introduced um, through a service that a friend of mine from Perth was come down to do worship. And so we rocked up there and heard a message from Trish about... uh, fighting the good fight and entering into the battles that God's calling us to enter into. And I sense such a, such a powerful mandate on their life to fight in the spiritual realms. It was almost like Paul was preaching over the top of us. It was like, yes, it's food for the believer, but it's, it's more than that. It's a proclamation over the spiritual realms and over the regions of our cities. And so I was so touched by that and I came home. Paul shared a few things with me and my wife and we got home and I was kind of, didn't know how to, didn't, didn't know how to feel. I wasn't sure what had just happened. And um, I finally sort of got the words to say something to my wife, Emily. And I said, it's like I feel like Elisha. And all I want Paul to do is put the man, mantle on me. Now, if you know that story, you'll know the significance of those words. I didn't fully understand what I was saying at the time. I knew the story. I studied the story of Elijah and Elisha and the significance of what God did through their relationship. But I hadn't read it for a while, I hadn't studied that story for a while, and to come home with that sense and to have those words kind of come out of me, like I didn't choose them, but I knew there was something significant in the relationship. And so instantly I submitted to the authority that was on his life, and so for me to become uh, a son, if you like, to Paul, a spiritual son, and to embrace his fathering and his teaching, not just for me, but for us as a church, meant that we would be able to go into those spiritual places and fight those battles. So I believe wholeheartedly that God is calling us to get violent in the kingdom of heaven and fight the fight that he wants us to battle. Amen? Amen. And he asks a question, Jesus asks a question, but to what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating or drinking, 
And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. And part of this passage is talking about uh, other entering into performance for God. And we can do that in the church sometimes. We enter into, yeah, we want to see outcomes, but as soon as we enter into performance mode, it's like playing the flute so that God would be somehow entertained with our performance and do what we're asking him to do. Or we can mourn or grieve the traditions of the church that have been established over previous generations and get stuck there and never enter into the new wine or the new anointing that God wants us to operate into. And so this is part of the problem that we have in the church in Bunbury is that we have to enter into a new season. We have to raise up new leaders and step into a new wine, into a new anointing that God has for this season. We can't keep looking back at what's happened in the past. Yes, we stand on the shoulders and I honour the seeds sown by previous generations, but it's not enough to stay there and keep doing things the same way. So I'd ask that you keep praying into that church that God would lead us. You know, I don't want to just go off doing my own thing. One of the things that Holy Spirit showed me when really, uh, I suppose, I finally realised, it finally dawned on on me that we weren't going to just play around with the church anymore that I was going to devote my life to uh, his kingdom and his church in Bunbury. Um, I had this great sense that um, he will go before me. You know, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere unless God's gone there first. Right? You, you, got, you can go into stuff thinking it's all a great idea, and it may well be uh, kind of God's desire or God's purpose. But if you don't wait and allow him to go there first, you will enter into something that, potentially is not going to turn out too well for you. And so for me to go through this process last year of just kind of seeking God and trying to work out what he was doing, coming to the conclusion that this was it, we're going to devote our life for the bride of Christ. And then to actually meet Paul and Trish at such a divine time. You know, I joke because I say to Paul all the time, it is a divine connection that we've met, which is strange because the book is called Divine Connection. But I just believe wholeheartedly that this is not a man-made thing. I believe that God has ordained what is about to happen in Bunbury. But Jesus asked this question, what or who will we be? To what shall I like in this generation? So I extend that question to you this morning. Who will you be in the eyes of Jesus? Who will we be? Let that sink in for a little minute. You can think about that. In order for us to enter into the battles that God's got for us, we have to rewind a little bit. Sometimes we can just go out without being fully equipped or understanding of our position, our authority and our identity in Christ that enables us to go into those battles with some sense of success. All right? God absolutely wants us to win in the battles. That's what the cross is all about. Right? But he still needs us to fight. We're going to let him go first and then we're going to enter into it. But before we get there, I want to rewind a little bit today because this is what I feel has been prepared um, previously in the, in the uh, meeting here and obviously in the prayer meeting this morning. You know, one of the things that Paul brought up early with us, and it's been on, I know it's been on Paul's heart and on the church, is the prophecy in Malachi at the end uh, where he says, uh, Malachi speaks of Jesus' first coming. But then he also alludes to his second coming. And before his second coming, he says that 
the Messiah will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. Now, I find this quite profound. I don't find this an insignificant passage that the last thing recorded chronologically in the Bible before the enter of Jesus, almost 450 odd years later, is about turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And the foundation of this relationship between these churches is exactly that. Right Now, I don't know how good you guys are at reading the times. I know that there's been an urgency to preach the gospel since Jesus came. All right, The early apostles felt like he was coming back next week. And we've got to behave like that too. But you don't have to be a genius. right? You don't have to be an amazing theologian to have a look around at what's happening on this earth. It was a profound awakening to me because I was getting really frustrated that people wanted to go to Mars and try and work out if we could live there. And the Lord said to me one day, he said, Chris, even these Muppets can work out that we can't live on this earth too much longer. You see what I'm saying? So the church has got to wake up to the sign of the times and start to see things are changing in a way now that they've never changed before. We are experiencing social settings that we've never, ever experienced in history before, anywhere on the earth. And not only one thing, but multiple things, right? You can graph pretty much any statistic statistic on the earth right now, and they all go like this, right? A hockey stick graph. In the last 10, 20 years, they all go like that, okay? From endangered animals to resources, anything. Okay, so the church has got to be aware of where we are at. Rewind a little bit, establish our identity, and start to fight for the church, to see the church established in our communities the way God wants it to. So this relationship of fathering and sonship is vitally important. If this is the last thing that Malachi prophesies before the coming of Jesus, alluding to his second coming. Okay, but here's the problem. Here's my angle on this. I know Paul's preached so much about fathering and fathering you and and that you as a church would be raised up as fathers over a generation. But here's the problem I have with focusing only on the fathering side. Everything that Paul says is true. Absolutely. And I support him 100%. But fathering is the effect of becoming a son first. And that's what Paul's established in his life. That's what I desire to establish in my life. Becoming a son to the father and becoming a son under other fathers. You will receive greater authority and power in your life when you become a son first. It's an identity thing. You cannot renew your mind into an identity. You can renew your mind from an identity. But an identity is a spiritual impartation that Jesus gives to us in our spirit when we are born again. You see where I'm going? Our identity is a spiritual impartation. I have a look at the life of the Apostle Paul. You cannot tell me that the Apostle Paul did not know God prior to his conversion. He knew God, right? He knew Yahweh. He knew I am. He knew the law inside and out. He knew God, but he refuted that Jesus was God's son. See the difference? And so he fought back. So what does Jesus do? He appears to him and imparts a blessing. He imparts personally the impartation of his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, which is a spirit of sonship and adoption, which buys Paul into his family. Now he knows God, the Father, and the Son as an impartation, and it changes the trajectory of Paul's life forever. 
right? You see, the Apostle Paul's temperament doesn't change. This is what's interesting. We think everything about Paul changed, but his temperament doesn't change. He was fighting for what he thought was right before, right, and persecuting the church. Afterwards, he was fighting for what he knew was truth. It's not about what's right. It's about what's truth. The revelation that he had received meant that no longer he prided himself over other people and lauded his rightness over other people, but he humbled himself and he said, I'm still going to fight for what God wants. I'm just going to fight for it through Jesus. So if you can see from that picture the difference between Saul's life and Paul's life, that transformation predominantly came through a revelation of Jesus, the son, a spirit of adoption and sonship into his life, which we all have access to. Amen? All right. I just want to know you believe that. That's good. It's not enough that I believe it and preach it to you because you can, you know, we've got to believe it too. Sometimes I ask, do you believe that? And it's up to you to respond. You don't have to respond verbally, but it helps me if you do. So basically, my concern is that uh, in a worldly sense, uh, we're putting a lot of emphasis on men to be men. And some of it is toxic, which we're seeing right now in the news and in the social settings, this whole idea of toxic masculinity. But really the spirit of that is through male and female. And so uh, actually this word son, just before I go too far, this word son in the Bible is the word ben uh, or pronounced bane, which is, uh, there's a lot of variations to it, but it doesn't predominantly denominate male and female. It's just son or child in its interpretation. And um, so please, if you, there's a lot of women in the room here, so please embrace what I'm saying as a spirit, not just the label son or father. It's the spirit of fathering and mothering or the spirit of becoming sons or children. Um, So socially, we have a problem in the world where we're expecting men to be better men. We're expecting men to perform more and to become more masculine. And, and if that creeps into the church and we expect men to lead and to, uh, to, become, uh, to use their power and to, become, to rise up, we use words like rise up and man up. And I suppose in a surface level, there's nothing wrong with that. We do need fathers to rise up. But the problem is that the best way for us to rise up is on our knees, right? For men and women to become the best possible version of spiritual parents that God wants you to be, the first thing we have to do is get on our knees before God. Before we become sons or daughters under any leaders, we become sons or daughters to God through Jesus, and we enter into his presence. This is the invitation that I feel God is extending this morning. It's an invitation to sit with him. It's an invitation of, uh, of deeper levels of intimacy and relationship with him. So I believe God is inviting you this morning, church. I don't know where you come from, and I feel like there's specific people here this morning. The Holy Spirit is just knocking on the doors of your heart. Some of you have been Christians your whole life. I see men in the room that are great fathers, and you've known Jesus as as your Savior. You've known him in, in that adoption sense. But I believe God is calling you today into a greater revelation of what it is to become a son, or a fresh revelation, a new revelation something you haven't experienced for many years. God is wanting to bless your spirit with this anointing, this, uh, this blessing of your spirit of what it is to become a son or a daughter again. And so we, we have this invitation, but it's us to, up to us to respond to that. You know, I'm going to read a few prophecies just from the Old Testament here in uh, 
Hosea 1, 10 and 11 says this. I want you to just listen out for the words children or son in these passages. These are all Old, Old Testament uh, prophecies. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Jeremiah three nineteen and 20 says, But how can I put among you the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the host of nations? And I said, You shall call me my father and not turn away from me. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so you have dealt with me, O house of Israel. Isaiah 1, 2 and 4 says this, 2 to 4, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, yet they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the children its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the anger to the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned away backwards. What's interesting about these passages, and throughout the Old Testament you hear it, it's that the leaders and the prophets, and God himself spoke through those prophets, calling the children, children. They were known throughout, like we all know this is what we call the children of Israel, children. Right? So that's why it appears 5,000 times throughout the Bible, because what we've called the children of Israel is sons. But interestingly, if we look throughout the Old Covenant, the children of Israel were no closer to seeing God as a father at the end of the covenant than what they were at the beginning. You get a sense of the conflict between the leaders and the rest of the children, the rest of the Israel nation, to see God as a father. They knew him as I am. They knew him as God Almighty or, or Yahweh. And perhaps they knew him as just another God amongst all the other gods. But they never really embraced him as a father. Right? There were different leaders that did. Right? Jacob wrestled with God. Moses, Noah, Abraham, they heard from God. David, he sought the Lord's heart. Right? Enoch walked with the Lord. There were leaders that, it appears, did kind of see God as a father. And there was a different relationship there. And they called the children of Israel children or sons. And yet they never really inherited it. At the end of the covenant, they were still at great conflict and still evil against God and transgressing against what he called them to. Then we enter a new covenant. 450 years passes, approximately, from Malachi's prophecy, and Jesus enters the world. He's born of a woman, an infant, helpless, subject to being raised by men. He's prepared for ministry, both by man and by his spiritual father, God. He gets nailed to a cross for supposedly being called a liar. And, of course, we know he raises again three days later, ascends back to heaven, and sends his spirit to us. So he ushers in a new covenant. What changed? When you think about the, the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, uh, we, have a lot, we think a lot of, there's a lot of things changed from the old to the new. Uh, and for all of us, it's different. Whatever your emphasis is, whatever teaching you've experienced, could be forgiveness without the same old school practices. We embrace Jesus because of his sacrifice for forgiveness. So whatever you feel the new covenant ushers in, 
I want to answer that question this morning to you from Galatians and from Romans. Galatians says this, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So because, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Romans 8, 8, 15-17 says this, For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The primary thing that Jesus accomplished in coming to earth and dying on the cross, being raised again and defeating death, disarming the evil rulers, was to usher in the spirit of Jesus to our hearts. The scripture points out the spirit of sonship is the spirit of Jesus. It's an adoption that he purchased by becoming a perfect son for you. Do you see the difference? We're no longer called children, we're made children. It's not just a prophetic naming anymore. The prophecies were there. They were called children, but now he makes us children by impartation of his spirit, right? In a, in, a, in a structure that God has ordained called marriage, God gives two prophets to every single one of us. It's called a mum and a dad, and they're to speak identity into our lives. This is the predominant way that God places identity into us. It's not just prophetic words. It's an ushering of our identity into our spirit. That if your parents here today in, covenant, in the confines of your covenant in marriage, that is your responsibility to do as parents. God has destined the structure for us to bless the identity of our children by spiritually imparting the spirit of adoption into our children. That's the method God's given to do that. When that doesn't happen, and that's why the social setting in our world is getting so messed up because the enemy has attacked marriage first because he knows if he can smash marriage, he can smash the identity of You see where this is going? The second way that God ordains that we have an identity is that when you come into relationship with Jesus, when you identify that you are far from him, you are an orphan, you're not adopted into his family, you repent of your sin, and it it is our responsibility, brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility as the church to wrap up new believers, right? to bring them into the fold and to speak life, not just in a renewing sense, right? Not just in a head knowledge. We're not just praying prophetically anymore. We're actually laying on hands and ushering in that impartation of adoption, right? So that's the second way that we actually impart that spiritual blessing into someone's identity. So that's why when you go into church, you can go into churches all over Australia right now, and, and we have this habit ourselves of doing this. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm, son, I'm a son. I'm blessed. I'm I'm appointed. God's called me to this time. You can do that as much as you like. You will never renew your mind into an identity until you've received an impartation of who Jesus is in your spirit. Do you understand? So we can do that afterwards. Okay, you, 
if you've heard much teaching about dealing with root causes. So this is how God works. God uh, transforms our lives from the inside out. God does not work from the outside in. Right? So when he comes into our life, we get the spirit of Jesus imparted. And there's shepherds in the room. If some pastors here, if you've been identified as shepherds, can I speak from another pastor for a minute? You guys, you guys get this, all right? Because you've got a heart for mercy and a heart for justice. And you see a love for hurting people. You guys are the ones who are going to lead the way when new people come into your church and they're hurting. You've got to wrap them up, get them around for lunch and embrace them. And in part, don't just pray. But know that when you lay hands and when you speak life into someone, you're not speaking it to their mind. You're actually speaking it in an impartation into their spirit. And, and that sense of wrapping them up and shepherding them, you are actually protecting them from the enemy. You're giving them a strong foundation to begin their journey and their walk with the Lord. Then the renewing can happen. Amen? I haven't preached for like 18 months. I'm enjoying this. So now if we return to Malachi just before that, that passage where he, he prophesies at the end in verse uh, chapter 3, 16 and 8, it says this, So those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. He's talking about a group of people who feared the Lord. They had a reverence for God. It's not everyone in this group. So a book of remembrance was written before him, those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts. On that day, I will make them my jewels. So just swap the word jewels for sons. It's synonymous. God's jewels, his prized possessions are his sons and daughters. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son whom serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. 1 John 3.10 confirms by saying, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. The fundamental difference between the old and the new covenant is that we are not simply called children by name, but that we are by his spirit made children. God the Father promised to make us his children. We are his jewels. The significance of Jesus becoming the perfect sacrifice for us as a son should not be underestimated. I'm sure God could have done it a few different ways. But he became a son, born of a woman, left behind his relationship with his father so that we could become sons and embrace the relationship with the father. Do you see the transaction it's very important. I know we know this, but this is, we can't underestimate the significance of what it is that Jesus becoming a son made a way for us to become sons. He was denied the Father's blessing so that we could inherit it. He became separated from the Father so we could be united with the Father. God the Father makes you an heir to the King and gives you a seat at the table. You know, I want to, actually, can the band come up? Enjoy me. That would be great. These guys were such a blessing in Bunbury yesterday. Uh, it was such a, an amazing time of worship. And you know what Paul talked about with just loosening spiritual realms through worship enables us to sow seed in fertile ground. And uh, we're just so blessed. Um, 
not just by these guys, but the others and, and the church for sending these guys down. So um, it's my privilege to be back here and to, to, to connect with you guys. But, you know, I want to have a, a time of impartation for, uh, for those of you who wish to receive an impartation this morning. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a painful journey for me to understand what it was to be a son. It was a very, very difficult journey. Some of what I... Uh, this book is really... Um, it's, it's, a, it's a record. It's a testimony that I wanted to write because I wanted to write it while it was fresh and while I knew how merciful God had been towards me. And so I documented it predominantly for our children to read. And uh, it's a, it really documents a seven-year period that we went through where... Uh, we're trying to conceive a child, and as I said before, still today we haven't conceived biologically, but uh, the book tells about how we went through a journey to uh, spiritually adopt, to foster uh, three young children into our home at once. Now we have another sibling. Uh, nine months after the first three came, we received another little baby boy at four days old. And so now we're spiritually raising those children, and we impart on a regular basis a spirit of adoption into their life. But, you know, that journey through that time was incredibly painful. There was a yearning in my spirit to conceive a child. And I'm just a male, right? So for my wife, I didn't understand fully how much pain she experienced, but I could see how much it hurt her. And I didn't realize this. You know, we, we, um, we got our children and... Uh, and what was beautiful about that is because I never saw parenthood as like possessing children. You know, we've got 18, maybe if we're lucky, years to kind of impart something into our children before they become adults and they do whatever they want. So I'm sorry if you guys feel like when your children get up, they're going to do exactly what you tell them to. I didn't. I was raised in a very legalistic way. And as soon as I got what I thought was freedom in the form of a driver's license, I did everything that I was told not to do. And I found myself at the age of 26 in the pig pen. I was addicted. I'd hurt a lot of people around me. I was depressed. I was financially bankrupt. More importantly, I was spiritually bankrupt. And you know, my mum, you know what's funny? That song that we sang when we started, um, His Love Never Fails. You know, the start of the seven-year journey that I document in the book started right at the time my mum came uh, and gave us a DVD where um, it's a Jesus Culture DVD and that song's the opening song and I love that song. And I put it on. I was far, far, far from God. And I put it on in in my house at the time and we played it and uh, my marriage was completely broken. We were living in the same house but there was nothing, there was nothing happening. We were only about a year into trying to conceive a baby and I was so far from God but this this song was playing in my house for whatever reason. I put this on and I knew that perhaps God was real and that perhaps he might do something in my life. Not long after this, I made a great mistake and completely destroyed my marriage and like I said, I found myself in a pig pen. And you know, when there was no one else around me, my mum, she said to me, she said, Chris, you've got to turn around and face the Father. 
And if that was the only thing I did right, I turned around and I looked at him and I realized that he was there all along. He had never left my side. He walked with me all the way to the pig pen. As we journeyed many years after that, trying to conceive, and if you read the book, you'll get the full story. I gave him everything. I just continued to give and to give over. You know, the, the miracle of the um, feeding the 5,000, the, the, uh, just felt this word in worship. The boy comes with two loaves and five fish. Is that right? Two fish and five loaves, the other way around. It would have been no greater a miracle for God to take one loaf and one fish and feed everyone. It would have been a great miracle. But he what? He took it all. He took it all. We don't have to do it all at once. But God desires for us as children to continue giving everything over to Him. That He would use all of it for His glory. And I stand here not in my own strength this morning, but in His purpose and His power in my life has transformed me. I'm not changed, church. I'm transformed because of the Spirit that's come within me. I don't operate anymore from my old spirit, which got me in the pig pen in the first place. I'm transformed. I'm gone from one spirit to another. That's the difference between change and transformation. Change is temporary. Transformation starts from a new spirit. So I stand here as a testimony of the spirit that resides within me. And it's my prayer and it's my desire, not just for you, but for the church of Jesus to understand what it is to be made a son. And so I've said enough. I'm, I'm going I'm to hand over to Paul. And um, I just want to invite you, if, if you have struggled anywhere in your life or you just want a fresh revelation, the revelation might come afterwards, but the impartation needs to come now. It's got to be something in your spirit. And I believe that there are some fathers there's some men in the house. And the enemy is going to be speaking to you right now. Sadly, he's going to be saying, you're too old. You've been doing this for too long. You know Jesus. You get it. But I'm telling you, when you step in, when you knock, like the invitation is there. And please, if you're thinking, who's this young punk in skinny jeans and tattoos telling me to become a son? Well, I am just a young punk in skinny jeans and tattoos. But don't receive it from me. So yeah, if you want to come forward, I suppose we're going to stand in worship. I'll hand over to Paul, but thank you so much.